When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya and Sabine, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretan Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So Stuart and Sarah are both Christians who would be, love to be better at sharing their faith with others. They both want to speak about Jesus, uh, the good news of Jesus, and tell others uh, who don't know him. So they want to tell their friends how Jesus lived a perfect life for them, how he died to take away their sin, how he rose again and, and conquered death. They want to speak these truths, but... They both feel like they haven't got the gifts to do that. Neither of them feel equipped. Now, they feel this in, in slightly different ways. So Sarah has a load of compliments. She loves to talk about the gospel. Uh, the problem is, her problem is, that she just doesn't feel like it works. So she once had a really good friend who agreed to sit down with her and study the Bible and they met weekly and, and Sarah answered her questions. They went through a course together um, and at the end of this, as they came to the end of Mark's Gospel, uh, Sarah's friends turned around and told her that she thought the claims of Jesus were ridiculous and that she never wanted to see her again. Now since then, uh, Sarah has tried to tell her friends about Jesus. She's tried different ways. She thought, well, that didn't work, so let me try a different way. But she's often been met with either silence or just 
laughter. She had very little success. So you see, she loves to talk about Jesus. She's confident in doing that, but she just doesn't feel very effective. And it's kind of now got to the point where she's she's more reserved. You know, it's not her confidence so much that she's reserved in speaking. So she weighs things much more carefully. She'll watch people, listen to people uh, before going towards them in any way. And she'll make up in her own mind whether it's worth getting on the side or not. So Sarah finds herself thinking, well, this person is not like me, so I can't really share my faith. Or I can't really see this person fitting in a church, so there's not much point in telling them about Jesus. Or this person, well, they seem like they've got it all together, they seem okay, so I just won't bother. And this all stems out of the fact that Sarah feels like she's not gifted, that her words don't actually do anything, don't work uh, in people's lives. So that's Sarah. Now Stuart, he, he, he also doesn't feel like he's gifted, but it's slightly different for him. So he's a friendly guy, but he's fairly quiet, and uh, he knows the gospel, but the thought of talking about Jesus with any of his friends or family just makes him so nervous that he, he, he just cannot bear to think about it. So at one point he was at work, and uh, uh, he was sitting down having lunch um, with a good friend, and his friend said to him, oh, well, you know, you're a Christian, can you, can you tell me why? Now Stuart just froze. And it felt like he was totally alone. And he remembers saying something about Jesus, surrounded by a load of ums and ahs, and kind of thinking and twitching, so much so that by the time somebody else walked in and sat down, his friend had lost interest in him, and the moment was just gone. Now, Stuart couldn't have had a plain question, and yet he couldn't get the words out. And he dreads that kind of thing happening again. He, he, he feels like he's not the right person to share Jesus with others, and, and never will be. <clears throat> he just convinces himself he's not gifted, so he, he, he looks around the church, and he sees others, and he thinks he's really confident in doing this. He longs to be like that. But actually, he's just, he's just said to himself, look, I never will be. I'm never going to be. Uh, confident enough to speak about Jesus. So you see, Sarah thinks she's not effective, Stuart thinks he's not able, and both of them feel like they're not gifted. They haven't got the gifts to share the gospel. Now I'm sure that, that all of us can feel like that, whether we go more towards Sarah or more towards Stuart, we just haven't got the right gift. I'm not gifted. God has not gifted me in this way. And so it's so easy for us, isn't it, to then just give up trying. You know, we, we think to ourselves that there are other people in the church that can do this. Uh, it's better that it's left to them. And I, I get that. And I want to very much encourage us to share Jesus with people as a church. So, of course, even if we can't find the words to say, or we don't feel effective, we can invite people to church where people will hear the gospel, where they will see God's people together, where they'll be put in touch with other Christians who perhaps ask their questions. But 
I also want to encourage us, yeah, I think we should all be doing that, inviting people to church, but I also want to encourage us that actually all of us who trust in Jesus, and here's, here's a big point this morning, all of us who trust in Jesus are gifted to speak of Jesus. All of us who trust in Jesus have received a gift. And that means all of us have everything we need to share the gospel. Now the gift I'm talking about, of course, is the Holy Spirit. That's how it's described throughout Acts chapter 1, and as we head into chapter 2 next week, we'll see it's a gift. Um, and this week we see it, we see it coming in, we see that God himself gives himself, firstly here, to the apostles. So they've been given a task to do, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then last week we saw that John helped us uh, to see that Jesus kind of assembles his team of apostles together. So despite the very public sin of Judas, um, that they're there, they're ready to go. And this week we see that the gift of the Spirit is given to them for their task. And then as Peter, kind of one of the apostles, stands up and explains what's happened, we see that this is a gift for us as well. And it's one that should give us great confidence in the gospel we have to share. So there are two things for us to see this morning. The first is, is, is what happens, and then we see the explanation. What happens, the first thing is that the gift of the Spirit is given. The gift of the Spirit is given. That's the first thing we see. The gift of the Spirit is given. So this is what happens, we see here, um, first of all, Spirit is given, and specifically, it's to the apostles who have seen Jesus. Okay, and it happens. They were all together in one place. Now the day of Pentecost is a Jewish festival. Uh, it was celebrated to mark kind of the end of harvest, um, uh, and then later on to remember the Jewish Passover, a time where God's people were, were rescued from Egypt. So it was a fe- festival to remember kind of completion and fulfilment. And it's at that time, as the twelve apostles are in one room, um, verse two tells us they're sitting down the house. Um, it's this time, time of fulfilment, where we see the fulfilment of God's promised gift, the Spirit. So the apostles both hear and see this happening. Just have a look at verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So the apostles both hear um, uh, and see these things, and that's significant. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, this is how God would, would kind of visit his people reveal himself to his people. So, uh, just one example, if you were to go home and spend some time reading Ezekiel chapter 1, you would see the prophet Ezekiel hearing a violent sound of wind and seeing blazing fire as he witnesses the glory of God. Now, there there are loads of other examples in the Old Testament, but, but the point is that as the apostles hear this sound and they see this fire, it says to them that God himself 
is coming to his people. Specifically, he comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. See that verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you see, the gift is given. Now it's not just given for the sake of it. Did you see what it does in verse 4? It enables them to speak. Now if you have a, a, a church Bible, you probably have a footnote at the end of verse 4, middle of verse 4, telling you that the other tongues that they are speaking in are other languages. Now that's right. Uh, so, you know, this is not, the apostles are not speaking here in some kind of unidentifiable, unidentifiable heavenly language that needs interpreting. That, that's not what's happening. Uh, you know, not the kind of thing that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. Uh, actually, what's going on is they're talking in lots of different languages. And it's enabled by the Spirit. Now, we might think, well, what's the point of that? It's all a bit weird and wacky. Well, what's, what's going on? But as they start to speak, something extraordinary happens. Luke tells us that at the time, there were many Jewish people in the area who were not originally from Jerusalem. Just have a verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. But what's happened is because of the Old Testament exile and since the Old Testament exile, when God sent his people away from Jerusalem, many Jews had settled in different places. And the specific places are listed here in 9 to 11. And um, here, if you have a look at the screen, you can kind of see them on a, on a map. This is what Luke means by all nations. Okay, it's a broad term for these kind of 15 different countries. You can see they're all coming from those places uh, to Jerusalem. Um, and, uh, sorry, uh, yes, what's happened is lots of them have made it back to Jerusalem at this point, most likely to celebrate the, the festival of Pentecost. They, they, they travelled to celebrate that. And now, having settled in lots of different nations, whilst genuinely Jewish, God-fearing people, they would have, over time, they would have taken on and developed different languages. So here they are, all Jews, coming together, all, all kind of having different dialects and languages, and yet as they hear the apostles speak, or as they hear the Spirit speaking, they come together, probably gathering in the temple, and they're amazed. Just have a look at verse uh, 6. When they heard this sound, that's the sound of the apostles speaking, a crowd came together in the order of them because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Nature, Trigger and Pompidia, Egypt, and the parts of the group, this I mean, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, and Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. So you see what's going on is, is the Spirit enables the apostles to speak in different languages, and Jews from all nations hear the wonders of God each in their own language. They're amazed at this. 
And what seems to be happening is they are hearing the good news of Jesus, his death and resurrection are the wonders of God, I think. You go to chapter 2, that's, that's become really clear. And so I think they too are be, being given the, the Spirit. Now, I think that becomes clear as you go on through the chapter. But if you have a look at this uh, promise in Ezekiel, um, I think this is what is going on. This is what uh, God says to the Jewish people who at that point will soon be scattered. He says, I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all countries and bring you back to your own land. So we've seen that happen, haven't we? And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So is the gift of the Spirit giving the apostles to speak? Uh, people in Jerusalem are being restored. Now, you know, for all its kind of slight weirdness, the very simple thing that that tells us is that God is faithful. Now, God has promised exactly this in chapter 1, verse 8. Just, just have a look down there. He says, I, I, he says to the apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's exactly what's going on. That the Holy Spirit comes, the gospel will go out, and here we see it happening. And so as we see it happen, as we see Jews from all nations, and, and the apostles speaking all different languages, the gospel is going out to Jerusalem and tells us that God is faithful. God keeps his promises. So, so God is, he's not, he's not like me. Often I, I, I want my kids to do something, I give them instructions to do it, but I don't get alongside them to make it happen. You know, so I'll kind of walk in the room and there, there might be like, like toys all over the floor and I'll say something like, right, come on then. Let's clear this up, and then I'll just walk out doing it. And then I'm surprised when nothing's been done. Yeah, it's not like this here. God, God ensures that what he said will happen does happen. He comes himself to enable that. So this is much more like a, a, a kind of a, a birthday, you know, where two parents have been promising for months that their child would get new bikes and they can ride to school. They would love their child to ride, ride to school on their bike, to be able to do this. And the kid kind of knows the bike is coming, she can't wait to get going. Then the birthday arrives and they give her the gift. Her parents have, have, have done what they said they, they, they said they would do. And now that the child has everything she needs to go. Yeah, but that's the kind of picture you get here. God wants his gospel to go out. So he makes sure it does. I guess the encouragement for us is, is because God is behind that, nothing can stop that from happening. And we'll see that again and again for Acts. Nothing can stop this. And it's really important for us to remember that, isn't it? It's important because actually the, the day of Pentecost uh, that we see here is a totally unique experience. So, so we don't see anything quite like this in the Old Testament. Uh, and actually, we don't see anything like this again in the New Testament. 
that this is totally unique. And I think that means actually that we're not to expect this to be our experience. For fire to rest on us as individuals, or for us to suddenly start speaking all kinds of lots of different languages, you can't say that's not going to happen. This is a unique and initial giving of the Spirit. And so at a time in our culture where we want to base facts on how we feel, actually we need to remember that this thing here tells us now that God keeps his promises. You see, so we may not feel like we've experienced God. We may not feel like God has empowered us. We may not feel like we have him with us, and yet it does not mean that God is not at work through us. Now, isn't, isn't that what someone like Sarah needs to hear? You know, it doesn't matter all that much whether she feels like she is effective or not. Whether she feels like her words are any good. That, that doesn't matter. It doesn't, you know, whether she experiences any kind of success is not the thing that she needs to pin her hopes on. If God is faithful to his promise here, then actually regardless of how effective Sarah feels, then God will make sure by the power of the Spirit that his gospel goes out. You know, success is not the big thing that Sarah should have in her mind. She's called to trust that God is faithful. Now that's really freeing, isn't it? Because, because actually it, it means that we should be able to talk with, with you know, whoever. Rather than Sarah kind of thinking, well, this person's more likely to accept the gospel, or this person's more likely. Actually, we can trust that God will save his people because he's faithful, because he keeps his promises. That's the thing we need to remember from this, that God is faithful. The gospel is going out in Jerusalem, just as he said it would be. The question here, though, is why does this happen in such a unique way? You know, if, if that's if that's the, the kind of plain thing for us, then why do you get this slight craziness going on? You know, why bring in a load of Jews from many nations for the gospel just to go as far as Jerusalem? What's the point of the apostles speaking in many different languages? What does that mean? Well, that's what the people here ask. You see, in verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. That could be an easy conclusion to draw, but what they're really saying is, well, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. And so at that point, Peter stands up and explains exactly what is going on. And what he tells us is that the gift of the Spirit is for everyone. This is the second and the final thing we see this morning. The gift of the Spirit is for all. The gift of the Spirit is for all. That's the last thing we see. So Peter gets up to explain what's going on. You see that verse 14, uh, people say they're drunk. Verse 14, Peter stood up. With the eleven raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain 
is to you listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said it was too early for these people to be drunk. That's, that's a ridiculous claim. Actually, this was a gift that was promised uh, in chapter one, yes, but also as much the, uh, a, a much as part of a much much greater promise spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is what he says. Have a look at verse seventeen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will drink dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will prophesy. See, God has promised through his, his prophet Joel to give his spirit to all people. See that there, don't you? Young, old, sons, daughters, men, women, masters, even on servants, the lowest people in society at that point. All people. That gift of the Spirit is available to all, regardless of who you are or where you come from. It's available to all. Now, Joel defines this, if you look at verse 17, as the last days. But that's a time after the death and resurrection, where the gift of the Spirit is poured out, and a period, a period of time, where the very next thing on God's calendar is judgment. So look at verse 19. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, in the context of the book of Joel, if you were to go, again, you go ahead and read the book of Joel, it's only uh, three chapters. Um, what he's looking forward to is a day when Jesus will return and judge, and very obviously bring about new creation. And so people will prophesy until the day of judgment, and it, until that day, verse 21 is wonderfully true. See that verse 21? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. All people. And this, this is a massive shift. So we say, look, it's not just the Jewish people. <coughs> not just the Jews. Now, anyone can call on the name of the Lord and they'll be saved. Now, we'll see next week that it's those people, all who, all who call on the name of the Lord, all who repent and trust in Jesus, those are the people who receive the gift the Spirit. This is not an automatic gift, it's a gift for all people who call on the name of the Lord. And that is why we see the Apostles speaking in 15 different languages and Jews from all nations being restored. It's not because that's God's normal way of working or we should expect that every day, rather it's making the point that whatever your cultural background, whatever your native language, Whatever job you do, wherever you're from, you can know salvation. And you can receive the gift of the Spirit. It's a gift for everyone. It goes above and beyond all boundaries. And that's what makes Pentecost you know, a bit like a birthday for us. <coughs> now, of course, it's not like a bike or I don't know, something like 
train set, only some people here would really love those things. But the present we all really long for has come to us. It's there for us. And to open up this gift is the best thing ever. And first and foremost, it assures you, provides you, assures you of salvation. It restores you. Yeah, that has come to us. Everyone here who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone here who calls on the name of the Lord will receive the Spirit. And so I need to say to you, if you haven't yet done that, if you haven't received this gift, if you're not a Christian here, then you need to call on the name of the Lord today. We'll see you next week. It's the Lord Jesus who, who died for you and rose again and now reigns as King. And we're in those last days where you can call on his name. So you need to do that before the day of judgment comes. You need to receive the gift of the Spirit, be restored. And the good news here is you can do that. Whoever you are, it's a gift for all. Now, if you've already done that, then what we see here is that the Spirit is not only there for your salvation, it also enables you to do something. Do you, do you see there, verse, do you notice there, it's kind of verse 17, 18, see it clearly at the end of verse 18. The, the, the prophet Joel says, Peter explains, I will pour out my Spirit all people and they will prophesy. Now, again, that might sound a bit strange, but what's, what's happening here is Joel, as an Old Testament prophet, is just referring to Old Testament times. So he talks about men seeing visions and dreams and people prophesying, because that is how God worked in the Old Testament. So God would send his, his spirit on, on, uh, uh, on particular individuals for a time, prophets or perhaps kings, and they would have something revealed of God to them, and then they would prophesy. They, they would speak to others for God, about God. And Joel is looking forward to a time when all people have the Spirit can do that. And Peter is saying that that time is now. So if you have the Spirit, then like the Old Testament prophets and like the apostles here, you can speak for God. That's what he's saying. It's not this kind of weird, wacky thing. It's just you can speak about God. And that's, that's great, isn't it? It means that you, you have everything you need to proclaim the gospel. You've got God yourself, uh, God, sorry, God himself has come to you to enable you to speak, to proclaim the gospel. You're gifted to proclaim the gospel. Now, again, I guess this is what Stuart needs to hear, isn't it? So Stuart is a guy who looks around his church and he wishes that God had gifted him to speak. And this passage says that he has. He looks around and he thinks, oh, I wish I had what this guy has. And the reality here is actually, you know, he's exactly the same as every other Christian because God is with him just like every other Christian. God has gifted his spirit to all those who trust in Jesus, all those who do that. 
and he's the one who enables us to speak. So no, no matter how fumbled kind of Stuart's words, words are to his friends, the encouragement is that God will use that. You know, God, God will use what he says. And that's really free, isn't it? Because it's not about him as a person. It's not about Stuart's personality. It's not about how able he is or how intelligent he is. It's about how great God is. And that should give us great confidence. It should give us great confidence to speak. There's, there's no certain type of person here that can have the Spirit. Uh, there's no certain type of person here that's more gifted than another. This is a gift for all people. And so all of us can speak to God, all of us can share the gospel. And more than that, we can do that with all kinds of people. So there's no certain type of person out there who can receive the Spirit. You know, it's not just for those who look like they might fit in, or those who look friendly. That's a gift for everyone. And so we have confidence to throw the gospel out there to anyone, everyone, taking risks, taking opportunities, and trusting that actually whoever we are, God will save his people, whoever they are. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that it has come, and we thank you that it's a gift for all people. And Father, we ask uh, this morning to help us to trust that and take great confidence in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.